0: Listener, production, the S&P, the ISX, stocks. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money, the podcast that desperately hopes to avoid being $400 billion in debt. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by the founder and managing director of strawman.com, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good, Scott. Yourself? I'm well, and you are the chief cook and bottle washy. I know you like me describing you that way, so I will add that in to your description as we kick off the podcast. Please do.
1: It's contractual. <laughs>
0: That's right, exactly. There are very few things I have to do, but one of them is to say that. Um, contractually, I also have to ask you what straw man is, I think is, is in, the, in the paperwork
1: somewhere. We are an pri- online private investment club, my friend, a collective of engaged, curious, uh, self-directed investors that seek to better our outcomes
0: by working together. There you go. I'm loving the extra embellishment, mate. That's that's good. Ooh, a little flourish, you yeah. Like Bit of curious, bit of working together, a bit of online. I love it, This is coming together beautifully. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of which, I'm gonna, while we're doing plugs, um, I hope our listeners have had a chance to listen to the Ruslan Kogan episode of the Good Oil. Andrew gave that away horribly, as he's wont to do, um, by assuming that we'd be interviewing Ruslan Kogan. Which never actually tell me a Come secret. to pass, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I did. I think you just guessed it from memory, and yeah. we're live. We're like, well, yeah, I okay. Maybe you're right. <laughs> so if you haven't checked it out, it was just a really look. I'm a Kogan shareholder. I've said it lots of times. I like drink. the company, but even <laughs> drink. Even even if you don't, regardless of it, um, when you get to hear from the guy who's built a $1.2 billion sales, powerhouse, uh, e-commerce-wise, uh, really, really cool conversation. My favourite part of it, mate, which has been in some of our marketing during the week, is – I don't know if you heard it, but he, he, he tells the story of a guy who comes up to him after a, after a presentation. He says, russell can you check out my website and tell me what you think? And, you know, if you're Rosalind Kogan or if you're Jerry Harvey or if you're, I don't know, Progie Forest, someone comes to you and says, oh, I want your opinion natural instinct is like, well, sure, let me, let me take you aside and give you the value of my wisdom. And, uh, you know, I'm very important and very clever and you need to hear what I have to say. And Russell goes, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. What does your data say? What does your data tell you about what your shoppers are doing? And I just thought that was both A, interesting the, um, the humility of the guy, which I'm, I'm a big fan of Russell. I think he's doing a great job. So humility, but also that reminder, you know, I have so many people who say to me, including my beautiful wife, who says, this Amazon website is terrible. I, I can't find anything. And, and, I, and I don't even blame her. She's probably absolutely right for her shopping experience as a consumer, whatever. But I say to her, honey, honestly... Amazon have tested the hell out of whatever they're doing and trust me, whatever they're presenting is what their customers are telling you is the best, easiest way to shop that maximises their sales value. And, and Kogan is exactly the same. It's just a reminder in, in a, an online world, just be led by the data, right? Like opinions are, well, let I say like backsides, everyone's got one. The <laughs> quote's a little different normally. Um, I just thought, yeah you know, get really, really humble from Russell, but also a really good reminder that, you know what? Opinions actually don't count. What, what counts are the results, what actually happens. Um, mm. You know, when I say money talks and something else walks. So yeah. anyway... It was a really cool conversation. Look for The Good Oil with Scott Phillips on your podcast player and go from there. All right, mate, enough ads. We are going to get into the podcast with... It's been a big week of... So we got a, a, an email during the week and someone said, hey, you guys say macro is not that important. Can you stop talking about the macro as much? And my response was kind of like, sort of yeah, sort of no, right? So yes, largely it's not super relevant to most of our investing most of the time, but to... It's the well. Firstly, it's the thing that people want to know about. So most of our listeners are saying, "Well, what do I do now?" The number of questions I had on Monday, we'll get to that. About, oh my god, the market's off two percent. What do I do now? Um, you know, the, the the reality is that either people don't know or want reassurance or both. And so we do a bit of that, and just to explain what's going on in the world, that's important. Um, and it's just one of those one of those things. But this week was was kind of big, mate. And I guess we should start with yesterday. We, we talk about rates off and on, and I think I'm probably a little more interested than you are. But broadly, we both know that. Interest rates determine discount rates, right? In that that strange algebraic world of discounted cash flows and even in the property market and plenty of other places besides, interest rates matter a whole lot. (laughs) They matter in terms of what your debt Mm. costs you. They matter in terms of the return you're looking for. They matter in terms of the way assets are priced. And so we're recording this on Thursday morning, overnight, Wednesday night, our time. The Fed's pretty much said, hey guys, taper is coming and we might even increase interest rates next year. Mm. And when Australia's banks are borrowing 40-ish percent of their money from overseas, and that's priced and or um, impacted by US interest rates, among others, it's not a non-issue.
1: Mm. So what was funny, I thought about that, because I rolled out of bed this morning, looked at my phone, and you know, usually you said, sort of, my phone knows me very well, so it tries to give you an update on what happened <laughs> overnight. Um, most of it's rubbish, of course, but it said something <laughs> like, oh, ASX set to open higher after after Fed uh, talks up interest rates or something like that. And it just sort of rolls off the tongue and you sort of nod and you think, wait, you know, I'm still half asleep. But it, it's, it's, I find it fascinating because you could have started that sentence as you did. And finished it in a completely different way, you know. It's sort oh, okay. of, it, it's so. Sort of, well, don't you find it funny? Is this like, well, in, on one hand, this talk of higher interest rates, the tapering, the reduction, <laughs> right. you would think the markets would go for all the reasons you just yeah. outlined. Oh, yeah. this is bad, and it has before. <laughs> right. Remember the taper yes. tantrum. Taper tantrum. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and yet it was being framed in a more positive light. And this is always the interesting thing about economics. <laughs> There's two sides to every coin. The other, the yeah, other, right. the other narrative on this is actually yeah. the, the economy is strong enough where yeah. we can increase interest rates where we can mm. reduce our amount of, of of bond buying and the market's sort of taken that narrative but I just I do find it interesting I think a lot of the time particularly in the financial press mm. something happens and then we try and fit a narrative <laughs> yeah, to it that's
0: right and, yeah. you know,
1: it, just, it just has to be plausible rather than yeah. we know because it could have yeah. easily been the exact same news event <laughs> i.e. the Fed <laughs> yeah, doing what it is but right. the headline saying ASX set
0: to sink because yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, it's, it's a remarkable thing and I think you're like, you know, honestly, so let me, let me let me destroy my job chance to anywhere else except The Motley Fool or maybe I come and join you at Straw Man. The financial industry are a bunch of babies. We are a massive, massive bunch of babies. And I'll say we, I, I try not to include myself in that, but let's let's be really honest. Mm-hmm. To your point, oh, they're going to taper. Oh, let's throw the toys out of the cot. Or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I really would like a hug, please. I feel like, yeah, oh, the Fed's going to be... Oh, okay, I feel better. That The whole idea of, of, you know, some degree, both ways, the market just wants some sort of reassurance or... Or, or is scared or whatever. And as you say, it could have been exactly the same in both directions. Mm. Right now, I feel like the market just wanted a hug that everyone's going to be okay. So rates go up, tapers or rates might go up, taper might be coming or is coming. Mm. Okay, well then I guess I will feel better about that because mm. I'm supposed to feel better about that. As you say, for exactly the right reasons, same decision, different circumstances, market reacts entirely differently. Mm. Um, it, it's, you know, we're, we're a bunch of babies. Like seriously, you know, the, if, if markets were efficient, if things worked the way they should have, then as you exactly say, the same mm. announcement two different times why would the response be different? There is zero mm. reason for it, other than as you said, the lemmings run left or run right, the, the herd runs left or runs right, and, and everyone just kind of carries on with it as though it's you know it's got something to tell us, which is is remarkable. Well, and it's also too that after the fact we we can just mm. describe it now whether it's the <laughs> yeah,
1: true right. the the the, yeah. the the true course of events and chain of events that sort of led to that. It's just yeah. it's these interpretations that that are very difficult. So. Mm. I'll look on with you, mate. Just to back to your original point. Macro is macro is massively important. It's one of these really weird mm-hmm. dichotomies in investing. I mean, macro just yeah, means, yeah. you know, the, the, the broader Big economic stuff. landscape. And that's what yeah. all companies operate in, and they're all no one's immune. Like no mm-hmm. one is immune to it. Um, and mm-hmm. and so it's 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 obviously massive. So mm-hmm. it, it does it does seem a little bit of a odd position to then sort of turn around and at the same time say Yeah, but don't worry about it too much. And Mm. that is, I guess that's probably where part of the frustration can come from with a lot of these discussions because we sort of get into it a little bit, but then the conclusion is the same. And it it feels a bit of a cheat and it feels Pollyanna-ish and it feels uh, naive or something at at the end of the day. But I think it's also something that Mm. Mm. all of the people who have been investing for a long time that I know of Mm. tend to sort of Mm. put it in that category. They pay attention to it. They think it through. But overall, it doesn't change the strategy because mm. the strategy itself doesn't tend to be predicated on the ability to pick the magnitude and timing of interest rate movements or, or these kinds of things. Mm. Um, important, yes, at the crux of what you can focus on and ever hope to have any sort of visibility <laughs> yeah, on. No, right. and and yeah, uh, so yeah. it's, it's it's a it's a difficult combination of it mm-hmm. ideas to have in your head at the same time. That's so I don't know how, how do you how do you square that circle.
0: I think look, I've, I've said this before, probably, mate. So I don't, I won't spend too much time on it unless, unless it's overly useful, and you can let me know. Either way, you know, the, do the hand across the throat. No, stop talking. Your point, <laughs> uh, or you can encourage me to go on. Um, I look, the older I get, I, I don't know about you. The older I get, the more nuanced I realise the world is. Mm. And you know, it's easy. It's easy to be a real hothead and a real kind of iconoclast in one direction or another when you're when you're young, right? When you and as an investor, you start out, and I started out on. I've said before, you know, value investing, 61 different equations, I knew all the data, I knew none of the information, but all the data, right? It was all that, mm. that sort of story of like, you know, there's data, there's information, there's wisdom, they're very different things. Mm. And I, I, I just think about, you know, well, director sell, that's always bad. And, you know, company debt's always bad. And, you know, you can't possibly buy a company that doesn't make a profit. And there's all mm. these things that you're taught are supposed to happen, right? The more, and the more you think about it, the, the more kind of it becomes, as you say regularly, it depends. Like it's, mm. There are no, well, very few hard and fast rules. And so- to exactly that point, you know, I, I was brought up on, well, macro doesn't matter, and there's the usual thing about Warren Buffett saying if you're more than five minutes a, a year about, 50 minutes a year about that macro you've wasted 10 minutes, or is it Lynch? Someone said that anyway. Um, that idea of, you know, so that you, get, you start with all that, and you think, well, hang on, that's true, except that if you, we're talking about debt, right? If, you're, if you are own shares in Sydney Airport or Transurban or something that's got just miles, of, or every grand, we'll talk about that in a minute, mm-hmm. um, that's got miles and miles of debt, if rates go up slightly, it changes the P&L. Like mm. it, just, it just does, right? Yep. And and again, if you think about interest rates and think about how much you might pay for shares, as Buffett said, right at the height of the panic of the GFC. Oh, sorry. So every time the bloody COVID crash in March mm-hmm. last year, um, that was probably this. Basically, look if if interest remain low, shares are cheap. That that big if is and, he, and frankly, he was right in the statement. He he made the wrong call. He wasn't <laughs> buying in March and April when he should have been. Arguably, last year. Because he was, I don't know whether he was expecting things to get worse or wanted to have more cash up his sleeve or for whatever reason, he didn't do that. Um, And so, you know, like, you know, we can't influence it. And does it matter? You know, maybe it's just not knowable. The Howard Marks quote about it being important but not knowable. But Mm -hmm. you have to at least allow for these possibilities, right? And Mm -hmm. knowing that rates might go up, almost certainly will go up somewhere, sometime. That should be part of our thinking, I think. And, you know, it, ordin- oh, honestly, mate, in ordinary times, you know, pre-GFC, literally GFC this time, when rates fluctuated up and down within a reasonable band and company profits did the same, you could assume cycles were cycles were cycles. Mm. But we've now been stuck in a 12-year declining interest rate cycle. Mm. And it's like, I mean, it's not even a cycle yet. It's just been, it's been a, one-way, mm. a one-way journey. And so to some, you know, if you're waiting for, oh, well, I will, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you about me, I, I recommend a computer share shares to share advisor members, man, years and years, maybe 2012, 13, 14, something like that, right? Mm. And my thesis was, rates are a cycle. When they go back up, comp, uh, comp, computer shares float's going to be worth a fortune <laughs> and so they carry a whole lot of cash, right? And I remember saying something from, about, sim, similar about QBE with its float. Right, yeah. right. When, when, when rates go up from 1% back to 3 or 4%, then that will be worth a fortune. The market's pricing it as if it'll never go back up. Well, guess what? So far the market's been right and mm. you know, did I need to make a macro call on that? Well, kind of, yeah, because it matters. Mm. The way you think about computer share's earnings power or QBA's earnings power over the, over the next decade absolutely depends on where interest rates went next. Mm. So, you know, while, I, while I'm inclined to generally, you know, my, my general line is when I disagree with Warren Buffett, I'm the one who's wrong. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I think the, the macro does matter. Depending on what you own, where you own it, mm. how you own it, even things like .com uh, or, or, you know, tech valuations. They rely on, a lot of them, being able to continue to raise capital from shareholders Mm. for years to come. Now, at the moment, interest being zero, you might as well throw money at at dot-com startups because, hey, why not? Give it a go. But when rates go up, that also becomes potentially problematic, right? And so the amount of runway you give these guys, how their shares are priced at Mm. on the same basis, these things are not necessarily even knowable, but I think it's worth probabilistically thinking about them. So I'm, I'm more in the macro, does influence potential results? And potential valuations and, and it is worth thinking about how much might the market pay for this company, how mm. available might cash be, how much might the debt cost, what that what might that do to profitability? Because you know, buying Sydney Airport or Transurban or QBE or computer share does absolutely the price you pay does depend a lot on how much you think the market's prepared to pay for this, how much you discount those future earnings by and, and how much the debt's gonna cost. Yep. Yep.
1: And I think it's also too, so we talk about these effects on the market but then the market yeah. is
0: a very
1: you know that's uh, a good point diverse too. and eclectic that's mix of, of different companies and yep. you know there are it, it, mm. almost any company is, is going to have a difficult time during mm. an economic mm. route. but some just hold up so much mm. better and it's not core to the thesis so you sort of look I look at the things that I'm holding at the moment and right. yeah was a global economic recession going to help them absolutely not does it wipe them out? Does it stop them doing what they're doing? Are their products and services likely to still be in some form of demand during a difficult period and very strong afterwards? It's kind of like I think you go for that anti-fragile approach where you mm. sort of say, yes, there is. This is all this, this is super important stuff. Nothing's immune,
0: but mm. there
1: are some mm. things that are far more immune to it, far more anti-fragile, I guess, to, to use that phrase again. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas if I'm in, in a very highly indebted, uh, uh yes. business which has very uh, cyclical earnings and very I mean that's just it's a different kettle of fish so they're all they're all sort of grouped together they're all sort of impacted by the same things but some are just impacted so 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 much more so mm. and and look you can make a, a lot of money in those in those particular assets if you get all the timing right but i just I think as an investor, you can, you know, you can just choose not to play that game. My the core of my investment argument, yeah. and my investment thesis for this business business isn't dependent on my outlook for interest rates. It's just basically, right. and it sounds it sounds childishly simple, but you know, mm-hmm. I always start with the: is this business around in ten years and more profitable than it is today? It's just such, yeah. such a lovely starting point, yeah. um, and 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 then sort of start work, working through it. All. if you get the big stuff right, the little stuff tends to fall into place, and and you if you can make some of this. Macro stuff, mm. more on the the, the the less important side of the ledger, when all the all of the various factors that can impact a business, you just make your life a lot easier. So you got to you can't look at every it, apples
0: with apples and oranges with oranges, I guess. I think that's true, I think that you're absolutely right. The market isn't the market. I would still argue that some of the outcomes you're thinking about in terms of you know does a company need more money? How much do I pay for those shares? How much will the market pay for them now or in the future? Does potentially impact your returns? Now it may not to the extent that. If your if you're, if the organic returns from that business are enough over enough periods of time, you can kind of wash it out. It's be like currency, right? Mm. You can you can kind of wash that out if you get if your gains are large enough. A movement of ten or fifteen percent either way in the currency is not going to matter if you're mm. buying U.S. shares, for example. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually completely agree with you. If you find a company that's completely, you know, rate, economic environment, valuation, debt, uh, equity raising agnostic, then I think you're right. Uh, the, the you're also going to be right about the business itself, right? That's that's the yes. other challenge. But I, oh, but I sure. agree with you. I think in the range of things you can. Um. Allow for, or, or you know, exclude or include in your thesis. If you can absolutely avoid the the, the impact of rates, that's cool. I don't think any of us actually can in total. So maybe no. maybe no. maybe the view is just making sure that it's it, it's a small impact as possible given the alternative or the or the um, the other considerations. For example, the company's going to double or triple its sales, and therefore hopefully grow profit at, at a similar rate. It doesn't matter how much you pay at least unless you're paying stupid prices. Mm. That being said, we we know that you know the after pay shares at 150 bucks. Those shells will never make them. They'll actually, they actually sell it square at a loss. Mm. So there is too yeah. much to pay for any company to some degree. Sure, uh, I think you got to be a little bit careful of that. Oh
1: yeah, yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. We'll just like, so I was sort of talking more on the qualitative, but on on the valuation totally. side yeah. of things too. So I think that the same, the same general ideology philosophy applies, which is. Mm. Just don't price imperfection. I think that's what's been difficult for me in recent years as well is that I have actually, it seems in hindsight, missed a few opportunities because I just, even though the, I looked at the company, I liked the company, oh, mm. it seems a bit expensive, and then it you know, doubles from there. And you think, oh, mm. you know, <laughs> I missed yeah, the boat.
0: Exactly. But I'm kind of, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm
1: okay with that, missing those opportunities because although it's worked out well so far at least in some of those situations, it is, mm. I'd still make the argument that, the, and this is the argument with Afterpay just to come mm. back to that, mm. which is why I was, very skeptical at those prices was that mm. it's not a question of whether it's a great business and it's around in the future and, earn, and worth more. It's, it's a question of whether they can actually deliver returns to their shareholders at mm. that at that valuation. And and I didn't think mm. it could. Um, so I think you factor I think you factor in that macro and stuff again. Again, if if, if an, a quarter of a percent interest rate rise, you know, changes your outlook on what the company is able to grow at significantly, yeah. then that's, yeah. you know, that tells
0: you something right there. I think that I think that's that's almost the point, right? And you just as you say, it is what you invest in. But if you have got, if you are buying Sydney Airport for, for income, or you're buying a bank because they're safe, or you're, you know, th- those the property companies, right? We we absolutely have seen in the past property companies wrecked on the on the rocks of high interest rates. And so mm. maybe maybe the point, as you say, is is be avoid those companies or at least know what you're buying because the you know, what company you buy or what you already own. Movements in macro conditions can matter for some businesses much, much more than others, right? And there is – these are much more – I won't say certain. They're much more predictable operational businesses, Hmm. but they carry that tail risk of – Rates or economic circumstances, and/or other things.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, it, it's just it's a question of risk minimization. So, like yeah. two two companies, one that's highly sensitive to rates, and one and mm-hmm. one that that is less so. Mm. So, yeah, that's there's a big contrast there. But they both have execution risk. Mm. They both have other uh, risk factors there. So, so it's sort of like you're right that none none of them. None of them um, uh, are immune to it, but mm-hmm. I mean, of all the risks that those ones that those growth companies might face, well, in a lot, of, in a large degree, there's similar kind of risks. To a much more mature business, you've still got to have a view on the forecast and earnings yes. and all of these other challenges you yes. face as an investor. But on top of that, now mm. I also have to worry about existential risks <laughs> from interest rates <laughs> yeah, going up a percent. Right. So it's just, do you exactly. know what I mean? Like there's a there's yep, a there's exactly. a draw, get a line of, get a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, put pros and cons on it. And if you if you can just remove a few cons,
0: <laughs> I think yeah. I think it just strengthens your position overall. Well, I, th- I think that's true. I will move on a second. I think that's true. I will maybe just be devil's advocate. they will argue the other side of that position. You have a very keen view and frankly spend a lot of time thinking about some of the smaller companies on our, on our market um, there are those who might say in response I'm not necessarily in that camp or probably somewhere in between but I'll mm. offer of the fun of it all we'll play it out who would say I'd rather I'd rather own Sydney Airport and risk interest rates rising than buy a small cap company whose future has has such a wide range of outcomes that I might lose a, a substantial amount of money on that business. Oh, totally yeah and so there, there are there are you know to, to some extent they would say I, I'd rather take out the risk of business um, <laughs> existentialism or existential mm. dread risk mm. um, and, and own Sydney Airport or Transurban or a bank because I'm not worried that they will go out of business anytime soon. Yeah. I have to worry about rates, but I don't have to worry about whether or not they actually can grow fast enough to remain in business, make a profit, not get crushed by their com- competition. And again, I know you would say the alternative. I'm not suggesting one is better than the other, just that depending on what sort of investor you are and how you almost rank those risks right and, and mm. what risk you're prepared to accept some mm. would say oh man i'll give, i'll take interest rate every <laughs> risk every day of the week if i don't have to worry about the business actually being there yeah um, compared to your view which is you know what I, I feel really good about these businesses and i'm happy to believe they're going to do well and i can avoid interest rate risk at the same time they are as you said and as we tend to say regularly <laughs> different sides of that same coin mm. where you're kind of just ranking your comfort level with different types of risk and then investing accordingly
1: yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I do think small caps do get unfairly characterized at times, so here's mm-hmm. here's a fact. A fact is, the small end of the spectrum, businesses tend to be far more risky, mm-hmm. uh, often not profitable and all the rest of it, but I, I just, I guess make the argument that there are actually some really notable exceptions totally. <laughs> within yep. that, companies that are sort of sub $100 million in market cap, but actually yep. like rock solid balance sheets, super yep. strong cash flow, you know, all of that kind of stuff, so mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I, I hear what you're saying, and when, and, and <laughs> (laughs) the way that you've put it out there, I'd actually agree and say, well, I'd actually prefer, I'd prefer a much lower return, but something super safe than something that's hyper speculative. But I guess the wrinkle I would just put on that would be that just because there's some smaller... Companies out there doesn't mean I'd actually I'd say some of the companies I hold less than hundred million dollars are far more financially secure than some of the stocks, <laughs> even in the ASX exactly. 50. Honestly, I would.
0: And we're going to talk about one of those later. And that was the other point I was I'm glad you made because the other point I was going to make is uh, small doesn't necessarily mean risky. Big doesn't also necessarily mean totally. safe. It's you know as you say regularly uh, you can buy the market if you want to. There are plenty of great ETFs for people who just want to you know mail in the market average, which is great. Uh, but once you start to think about which companies you buy. I, I, you and I both railed for a very, very long time against this concept of blue chip that somehow it's, it's imbued with all of these characteristics that imply quality and safety and sustainability and size and whatever. Yep. And then you have HIH blow up or you have AMP that's lost, I don't know, 90% market cap over, over decades. Um, oh, you know, the, heaps of examples. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. let's move on to Evergrande because now this is you may have heard it called Evergrande or Evergrande uh, we don't really know for sure we haven't spoken to the company we believe based on some media um, media references it is Evergrande that we've heard so we're going with that one if it's not we have a different view then feel free to send us your hate mail send it to Andrew no I'm kidding uh, so, so um, just yeah Look, we'll call it Evergrande for now Evergrande's got more of a flair to it doesn't though, it I'm yes watching. exactly much more European yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have an E at the end so it's Evergrande with an E so Grande is a reasonable um, a reasonable term. I think it was it was it the Toyota Camry that had a Grande edition. That's I think right. It's yeah. a bit a bit fancy. Um, right. If you get out of the uh, Camry drivers out there, we used to have one back in the day. Um, let's let's talk about Evergrande in the concept in the context sorry of interest rates because speaking of businesses that you know are uh, wonderful, you know debt debt is great. Debt leverage is wonderful when it works for you, right? It can magnify your gains. It could mm. also potentially bring the whole house well, house, house cards actually has much, bring the whole business come crashing down if it goes the wrong way. Let's let's talk about it. You said to me when we started, before we started taping, uh, you've been spending a bit of time thinking about this and watching this story unfold over the past little while. It did send the ASX down two percent, two point one percent on mm. Monday. Not just Evergrande, but kind of the the whole Evergrande China currency iron ore. We'll get back to iron ore in a minute too. But um, it, it's it's been it's been a hell of a week, and uh, you know markets were up Tuesday, Wednesday, down on Monday, still down for the week as we record this. What are you watching? What I mean. So let's go, let's go to the story. Four hundred billion dollars worth of debt. Mm. Debt. Four hundred billion. The world's second largest property group. We think. Mm-hmm. I've seen reports made of thirteen hundred developments in two hundred and eighty Chinese cities. Are the numbers I've seen. You may have seen differently. Yeah. Um, it's been a real, both a massive beneficiary and a massive part of the. Chinese sprawl of, of kind of urban development, mm-hmm. uh, everything from apartments to apparently um, sports stadiums and, and concert halls. I mean, China does need development, right? They, they want to move from infrastructure economy to a consumer economy. They do want to bring their people off the farms and into into more urban and suburban environments. Um, the, the, the country is trying to do exactly that. It's, it makes sense for... Evergrande to be in that game, and it's done very, very nicely doing it. The second largest property developer in the world, as we said. But this week, there was a very good chance, and I'm, I should say, we're recording this Wednesday morning, so goodness knows what happens between now and... Uh, Thursday morning, sorry. Thursday. between now and, and Friday afternoon. It could be anything, but at least as far as we know, they've, they've delayed either the inevitable or, or maybe just bad news, bad results for a little while yet, but tell us the Evergrande story from your perspective, mate. What have you been seeing? What have you been watching? What have you, what have you found from that?
1: Well... When you see a headline that says this is China's Lehman Brothers moment,
0: <laughs> it gets you, your attention.
1: You know, it gets your attention, and it's it's it's. I think when you dig into it, it's probably not a fair statement.
0: Although yeah. it does capture a bit of the essence of it. So, mate, some of not it, known for their for their uh, fair, fair statements and and <laughs> and try to damp down an issue, are Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> well, Evergrande, look, corporate collapses all the time, but mm. when you get to a certain scale, it yeah, just means right. you know. So, I've heard figures. The the thirty percent of the of Chinese GDP is is related to property development. That wow. that includes furnishings okay. and leasings and a whole like it's a broad yeah. definition yep. of it, but yep. related to that property yeah, right. sector, it is yeah. it is about a third of soon to be the world is it the world's largest economy? It's about to be the world's largest. Economy.
0: Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it's still second largest, but it's there, thereabouts. Yeah, it's you know, let's let's face so it. So yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter whether it's first or second. It's so big, it's going to make cause drama if it does go badly. It,
1: it, it is massive. There's something yeah. like in terms of employees alone, that's like <laughs> over a million. It, again yeah. downstream, upstream, intertwined. The rest is like banks mm-hmm. um, associated with this. Employees <laughs> yeah. have bought financial products. It is mm. it is very systemically important and the other Mm. thing is is that this is Again, like with Lehman Brothers, this is the one that's getting the attention. But there's, there's, but there's potentially mm. a lot of other developers, perhaps not all of the same scale, but in very similar situations. Which is, you're right. There's a very strong mm. sort of tailwind uh, in China for for development. But but there is certain financial laws of gravity and the rest of it. And they have just <laughs> borrowed so yeah. much, and they yeah. do not have the liquidity to pay their their workers and their bills mm. and their mm. debts when they come when they come due. So, there's a very good chance and, and President Xi has basically uh, said that he wants to sort of rein in the rampant speculation on the market. They're just going to make an example of it, let it collapse. Right, right. Um, or they might bail them out. I mean, we, we don't
0: know. We don't exactly. know. That's exactly. That's, and that's you can say Between now and Friday afternoon, anything could happen. But right now, we feel like we're... It, I don't want to say the eye of the cyclone, but there is some sense that everything seems calm for now. The question is whether we get out of this without without too much damage, right?
1: Well, the thing is, I find interesting too. You play out either scenario; neither is great. Like if they collapse, I mean that could that could spread over into global Mm. credit markets. That could cause borrowing rates to go up overall. It could just slow down the Chinese economy. Oh, by the way, China's our largest export market, (laughs) and and oh, by the way, you know I think you know forty percent of our exports there are, are in the form of iron ore, which has been collapsing in part a consequence of this. Yeah. Um, sort of stuff as well. So it's so, it's, so mm. th- that's not a pretty outcome. And you know, let's just face it too. Our economy is probably not in great shape at the moment, with two yeah. of the largest states in in lockdown, and we've got a red hot property market and the rest <laughs> of it as well. So it's sort of yeah. You know, and, and then and then you kind of say, well, let's say they do just sort of quote unquote bail them out. It's mm. not it's not so straightforward. Again, there's a lot of in, private citizens who have got mm. uh, financial products that will largely go up in smoke here. There's a lot of <laughs> offshore <laughs> investors that won't be able to be bailed. You can Certain, certainly there's a lot that you can potentially do but mm-hmm. it's kind of like putting your, your finger in the, the wall of a, 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 a of a dam with a crack in it type type mm-hmm. thing potentially mm-hmm. so I find it I find it really fascinating I mean the, the, the a lot of noise um, has been made of of the Chinese uh, uh Property market yeah. and some of the risks and stuff in it for years. I mean, yeah. you and I were talking about it years and years <laughs> ago. That's right. So on one hand, I kind of think this is serious. It potentially could be, no matter which way it goes. Yeah. On the other, it's sort of like, well, I've heard this tune before, and even if it's it, this, this is the hard part. You, the market mm. can remain irrational far longer than you can remain solvent, is yes. the old saying.
0: And yep. so as
1: though, as though there, there might be some things, and some people very very smart people a lot out there have been arguing very fervently that this mm. is this is not going to end well. And they could be right, but maybe it's Five years away. <laughs> this is what makes it so diabolically hard. Mm.
0: But yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a fascinating story. Whatever happens, it is. I am going. <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm treating carefully here because uh, during the during the early days of the COVID uh, pandemic, I was a little too blasé about it. I have to say, I. Look back at SARS and MERS and other things, and went, oh, look, maybe it'll do something, but probably, you know, it's probably more like more like these, right? These little localised, big deals locally for those communities, but, you know, it'll, it'll die out, come under control, it'll, it'll be okay. Uh, that was spectacularly wrong, uh, speaking for the, the benefit of hindsight 18 months later. <laughs> um, but it's also, well, by the way, there's so two things for that. Firstly, the market's still at an all-time high or close enough to it, right? Despite right. the massive crash subsequently. Secondly, Despite being wrong about that, I still firmly believe, and, and we've seen plenty of that, including more bloody house price crash 40% articles in the paper recently, um, and a 60 minute story of you know spooky music going through Campbelltown, as, as Pete Wajn said on Twitter, um, you know the, the 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 predictions of doom and gloom are far 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 more prevalent than the actual doom events themselves, right? So Mm. COVID was absolutely not like SARS and MERS, but SARS and MERS were effectively inconsequential. So, you know, how many times do you predict a once in a century pandemic and be wrong or every other possible contagion, collapse, concern, whatever else comes with that. So Mm. I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of... Even, even the GFC, you know, the, the I said I say this all the time: the market goes to new highs or has historically. We can't make promises about the future, so I need to carefully choose my words to make sure the regulator is happy. The market has never failed to surpass a previous high. It got through the GFC. It got through the COVID crisis. It will get through the next thing too. And maybe it's evergreen. Maybe it's not. Um, and it's probably not right because for every every sell everything call, for every house price is crashing 40% call. I mentioned Steve Keen before, God love him. Uh, he's sticking to that uh, that argument made 17, 15 years ago. Uh, the house price was going to crash 40%. Uh, Stephen Koukoulos has won a bet with um, uh, Tony Lacantro about house prices crashing by the end of 2021. You know, th- these things are, hasn't, he's almost won the bet, still a month and a two bit months, months to go. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess for mine, mate, I, I kind of just—it's—it's—it's a—it's a sense of like we—we've—I've been around this for so long as have you. I just can't get excited about the the doom and gloom stories, right? Because it was a Chinese hard landing, it was a train house price crash, it was, Grexit, it was Brexit, it was Brexit, it was like you know whatever you, whatever you want to choose. Um, there, there are. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of predictions for every one that comes true, and I just mm. no, not—they're not risk; they are risks. They're absolutely risks. But if you avoided investing every time there was a possible risk on the horizon, you'd still be in cash. I wouldn't have invested a dollar in the last twenty-five years on that basis. Yeah. So I, I just kind of can't get worked up about it. I'm not worked up about it, but I just—no, think- I'm just saying you are. I'm just—I'm just saying my, my response to the whole—the whole idea is like, oh, whatever. Like, if it happens, it happens. We can't stop it. If it doesn't happen, well, I'm not going to be surprised because most of them don't. It's kind of one of those, you know, like I just, I don't know. I, I, I've only tenuously read the story quite honestly, So when you want to talk about it, I was like, oh, well, I guess we can. I, it's, I, I just have, it's a non-issue in my mind, not because it can't happen or won't happen, but just because the chance of it happening are low and if it does happen, I'm not going to, you know, pull me out of the market just in case these things come to pass. So I'm kind of, oh, yeah. like, oh, I don't know yeah. what to do with that. What no. I don't know what to do with that information, you know? Yeah, well, it's it,
1: it's it's one of those things, as you said before, important but unknowable in terms of yeah, how, it, yeah. how it plays out. And so, well, I'm, I'm this uh, pragmatically, I'm 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 largely the same. But I think it does inform some some level of uh, uh, how you might allocate what you might expose yourself to. I mean, do you remember when um, this? We don't even have to go back mm-hmm. that far,
0: mate. When iron ore was racing through the roof and both of us my next was story, dude. you still have my next story okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, can you use a different analogy for me otherwise the podcast can be really short oh
1: well there, are there. I think one of the I think one of the the biggest dangers particularly for new yeah. investors is that we yeah. are very prone as a species not just in investing in a lot of things yeah. but just extrapolation yeah and be certain sectors doing very well yeah. prices yeah. doing very well therefore yeah. you know everyone investors feeling really great and things just sort of carry a little bit of momentum there but it just mm-hmm. it, it gets to a point where I don't think you have to be not or you don't, you know, you don't, you don't need an earth-shattering Lehman Brothers <laughs> yeah, event to kind yeah, of sort of yeah. say, listen, this for you to go well. Mm-hmm. Here, a lot of things need to sort of line up for yeah. you, and yeah. and I and and so I do. You know, do I regret twenty mm. years ago not? Mm borrowing myself up to the eyeballs yeah. and buying fifty investment properties and as soon as I got a bit of equity rolling that into it, absolutely I don't yeah. regr- I don't yeah. regret it because yeah. it was the wrong thing. It is always the wrong thing. You you can take exceptionally yeah. stupid risks when it comes yeah. to investing yeah. with what any kind of type of investing <laughs> and look really smart at the end mm. of the day, but it doesn't mean it was the right decision. Yeah, so and true. so I guess when it when I when I look at these that's things, so it's not that it's a chicken little oh because you can always point to something that's about to destroy mm. the world <laughs> but, right. but I do think I I I I like to I, I like to keep. Those, be reminded mm-hmm. of those things and I think I, one I just think they're intellectually they're fascinating to sort of yeah, think through and how does it all work right. and you know how does the world sort yeah. of how do the various gears all fit and what does it mean mm-hmm. and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff but it does it does again it, wh- wh- you, you, why not have mm. a, a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of money in Chinese property why not have uh, why not have 50 investment properties leveraged up true, the, I mean, I, I I think it informs those kinds yeah. of decisions and yeah, you might you will, you'll always look back and say oh, if only I if <laughs> yeah. only I picked last week's lotto numbers. that have thirty million dollars now, but yeah. I still think I still think if you can continue to make the sensible right decision, even if that leaves yeah. a lot of money on the table, it's still the best decision to make. Because you know what? Even though they are especially rare, these things mm. do go pear shaped from time to time, mm. and they can be significant. And I just, I just, I just don't. Life's too stressful as it is to sort of yeah, add all that other right. stress and,
0: uh, on top. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I think that's true, man. I think that's true. I just I just have uh, would you, have you done anything different? Would you do anything different because of the Evergrande Risk?
1: Uh, no, inter- well, as I said, I've been reading a lot about it this week, yeah. but I haven't, I haven't bought or sold or changed anything. But then, yeah. t- that's just sort of comes from like in, when, as it was being built in the first place, yeah. having certain biases and prejudices against totally. certain yeah, yeah, sure. sort of sectors. But, but, but I hopefully think for reasons that have been informed by history and experience and, yeah. and the rest Tone, of it. It's just that sort of, I'm, re- I'm really just happy not to play certain games, even though there's yeah. potentially I could make money. And you look around, mm-hmm. as they say, there's nothing worse than watching your neighbor get rich, and <laughs> yeah, you know, that's
0: right. a friend of yours is. Doing all kinds of silly things, and then you feel
1: like, oh, I'm missing out. God, what am I doing over here with that's this sensible right, long-term right. investing stuff? Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, I, I, am just, I'm just, I'm not, oh. I'm not going to lose any sleep that I could have done that when, when so
0: at the same time I could have also lost my shirt. So it's, it's not <laughs> worth it. No, I like it. Mate. I like it very much. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's roughly right. Look, and again, I, I, you know, I not say that uh, those things can't happen. I just. Yeah, I'm happy just to let them do their thing. Uh, tell me, you're not slightly happy about the possibility of a collapse because it's a property developer, are you? Is there, is there a <laughs> part of you that's, uh, that's slightly more happy, slightly more interested than normal because it's a property, a property might possibly come into grief?
1: I just, you know, it's such a, I, I find it such a fascinating area. You know, the psychology, uh, uh, we talk about behavioral factors of investing. When yeah. it comes to property, it is yeah. really, it is bizarre. They are very mm-hmm. unproductive assets. And yet, yeah. you know, I think in China, I heard that the price to income ratio is up around 40. Yeah, Investors right. actually leave the properties vacant on purpose. Right, so yeah. you're not even, the the, the, the stated <laughs> value of any kind of would be the potential cash flow. And you're actually saying, no, I don't want the cash flow Uh (laughs) it's all it's all a madness and it's just I'm really fascinated to see how that actually plays out because at at some point in time it is, as we always talk about, is the underlying cash flows of assets and they're generating yes. capacity yeah. in that regard that define value. And when you have something that doesn't really do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and yet the mm-hmm. price keeps going up and up, I mean, it, you, you, you can, you can. I'm never going to make those Steve Keen kind of bets because they're stupid. You're going to, you, who who knows what the timing is going to be? But you do know that it can't. You can't stretch that rubber band forever. It's just sort of a little bit logical. Uh, derivation that you can't possibly ignore. <laughs> so I just, I just think on. it's like get,
0: grab the popcorn. It's like watching a you <laughs> know, crash in, in slow motion in some degrees. There is something though I gotta say that, that my boss and your former boss Bruce Jackson says regularly, which is always, i not even super regularly, just always stuck with me, is that bubbles can go much longer than anyone expects. Oh yeah. Yep, and century. that idea of – even to your point, even the stretch rubber band, you could have said at the time "Keen made that bet, oh, mate, I'm not stupid enough to make that bet. Who knows what's you – know, but maybe in the next five or ten years, maybe <laughs> ten years later, the property still go up at yeah. double-digit rates. Like, yeah, right. oh, man, like, you know, it, it, so, many, so many millions would have been lost betting against it, even if it's unreasonable, uh, even, if, even if, everyone, if everyone investing in property is absolutely stupid, they're not necessarily – even if they are – um, so that, that, very, that very, the very idea, it's just a massive, massive difference right, between oh, yeah. uh, what, what's reasonable, logical, proper. And as you rightly say, mate, the other thing is you don't have to take every risk, right? You don't have to take oh. the bet. If you look at property and go, <laughs> too rich for my blood, just because it goes up doesn't mean avoiding it was, was a mistake.
1: And generalizations. Well, yeah. I just quickly, just before any hate mail comes in, generalizations here are dangerous, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you know, just as it would, I would say, we can talk about the share market. and I think mean, you go plough your money into a hyper speculative yeah, biotech yeah, company. Yeah. That's really a dumb thing to do. It doesn't mean that investing in the share market is a dumb thing. Just as some people can do some really dumb things in the property market, doesn't mean that property is a dumb investment. It's a very smart. It's a great investment. But all my point is, is that any investment needs to have like a very sensible, sound, fundamental kind of basis to it. Whatever you're dealing with, and if you're if you're going to play it very sort of fast and loose,
0: yeah. there's a downside to that, and history is pretty unequivocal. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> All right, mate. Let, let's move on. You mentioned I know before. We do want to talk about it just very quickly. Partly victory lap. Partly, um, I, I so, I hate victory laps. Like I, re, you know, you know me. Like I just, I it really grates. Partly because I'm scared that you know what do they say? Pride comes before a fall. rises, as as I do something like that. You know, a chevron's going to crash or something's yep. going to happen. I'm like, oh. yep. plus it's just it's just bloody classless. So I don't love it. Um, I am going to do it. Going to do a little bit of it on on both our behalves, mate. Just for just for a short time, because I, I I've learned to believe, or to I've learned anyway that um that people listen to what you have to say, and and they kind of take it in. But credibility is kind of important, right? So mm. when you start to talk about, hey, this is what I think you should do. Frankly, a lot of people don't actually ask for people's track records. But I'm I'm proud of our track amazing. record. You're at yeah. straw man, and you, when you're at the Motley Fool, you can say, hey, this is what I've done. This mm-hmm. is why you should listen to me because I kind of—it doesn't even make your point any more or less valid. That can be true, and you can still be a ter- terrible investor. But if you if you can say something that you know defines how you've invested or what you've done, and you've been successful doing it, it, it should give you some credibility for those people listening or, or reading. So I say that as by way preamble because I just I hate I'm viscerally like I'm, I'm I'm cringing as I'm as I'm talking here. Um, the iron ore story, right at two hundred and twenty-five dollars US a ton when the cost of getting out of the ground, the cash cost for BHP, Fortescue and Rio is 15, 18, 20, mm. that was 90% gross margins. They are mm. they are soft, they're better than software margins. Most software companies in the world don't make 90% gross margins. Mm. And those that do are the very, 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 very best. And even if Rio, BHP and Fortescue are the very, very, very best in iron ore, it's iron ore, it's not software. Mm. Software doesn't have to be replicated, doesn't have to be dug out of the ground, doesn't have to be all that stuff that comes with it. And so we were saying for a very long time, hey, look, who knows? We're not making forecasts, we're not making predictions. But can I say, supply and demand, (laughs) Economics 101 says this shouldn't happen. Mm. And so the fact it does should be the anomaly, should be the exception, not the rule. You should expect that either because price goes up, demand falls, or because price goes up, supply increases. Mm. Over time, as long as there's no oligopoly, no cartel behavior, nothing kind of macro going on that would interrupt supply and demand doing its thing, you should expect the price doesn't stay there. Mm. Now, as we record this, the price is under 100 bucks. I was under 95 a day ago. I'm not sure what it is right now. It doesn't matter. It could be something different by Friday afternoon. Just a reminder for those who b- wanted to believe, you know, the old X-Files thing, I want to believe that iron ore could somehow magically stay that high. Mm. Um, and I will say a reminder for those who are buying lithium and other things because the, the price has stayed that high. Just remember that if you're in a commodity sector, supply and demand does its thing unless you've got specific pricing power being offered to you, I know was down, what, 55%, 60%. Mm. Um, frankly, still, even at the current prices, the, the margins they're making are not sustainable. Again, with absent some sort of cartel behaviour or market disruption or market mm. kind of, you know, something going on that's not letting the market operate rationally. These things shouldn't happen. And so, A, I want to say, look, I didn't predict the timing, I didn't predict the price, I didn't predict the anything. I didn't make any predictions. I just said this seems unsustainable and when it happens and Andrew I well, I won't speak for you mate you can speak for yourself just to, I just, you know, just want, I want you to remember this, this moment right remember this time next time because we've been here before right? remember the super cycle of 20 was it 2012 2013 2012 yeah, yeah there was a super cycle oh my super cycle oh it's going to be great forever and then of course it wasn't because that mm. was just a stupid thing to think so and, and people like you know, I, mean, I remember back in the day ANZ we're saying, oh, I was going to say, one hundred bucks a ton for for years to come. I'm pretty sure it's NZ. Mm. Apologies if I've slandered the wrong company, um, but really, really smart economists who kind of just somehow convince themselves that this this supply and demand could be just put aside. That somehow the laws of economics would cease to apply in mining. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I hope springs eternal, right? But it's very, very, very unlikely. Yeah, it comes back to what we we're talking
1: about before. There are just there are some risks that are just. Really easy to see, hard in yeah. terms of magnitude yeah, and timing. Right. Yeah. But just you know, right? know. Yeah, I don't want to. You know, I
0: don't want to d- dive into the previous topic. But again, I think yeah. that
1: that's that's where a lot of my stance comes from on some
0: of these yes. things. No, like do property. feel free because that's why I wanted to. I actually hold a vinyl, but it, it does absolutely apply.
1: Look, there's 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 there is an acknowledgement that the world is a very uh, complicated, nuanced place, <laughs> right? And almost anything can happen, and crazy it. things can happen for much longer than you think. Uh-huh. But there are certain. There are certain things that I think you can hold as as definitely true in mm-hmm. a in a broad sense, and iron ore is yeah. iron ore and commodity production is one of them, and it's one yeah. that is very very well established by history mm-hmm. uh, and very very well explained by theory. Um, we yeah. have a very good understanding <laughs> exactly. of all of these kinds of things. Yeah. So why do why do very smart That's economists? So so I, I, I think I, I don't know. It's hubris. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure, but it's it. I, I don't know, it, it, it baffles me. And, and you can look really silly you know, a lot for a long time sort of saying a, a lot of these things. But yeah. when the reasoning is sound and the historical precedent is there, I mean, there in spades, mm-hmm. you know, gazillions of examples on how it went and, and no uh, other examples of how it went another way and another point in history. Like, do you know what I mean? I just, I yeah, feel I there are some things and, and others might go, yeah, well, that's true in the long term, but you can still, there still can be dislocations for years mm-hmm. and you can profit immensely out of it. That's like, it's <laughs> that's great, right. That's that is true. Absolutely, but it's just—it's still very hard to 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 do. There are easier gambits mm-hmm. on the future to make, I think, and yeah, it's just such. I know such a classic example of that. Think think about uh, whether it's a GDP forecasts, forecasts for currency, uh, forecast of any—they're they're always laughably wrong. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on 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 so many of these things. So to to make an inv- make an investment on the basis that some. Fundamental economic rule will will defy itself for <laughs> an extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know, mate. I'm I'm, I'm rambling, but it just yeah. it, it just seems reckless. I'm I'm can, not. Can I? am not no.
0: smart enough to know how to do that stuff. It, it, speak, speaking of economic forces, mate. And this is a slight tangent, but it's kind of worthwhile. Um. I just pulled out I got I got a, a letter the other day from my energy retailer. Telling me that my solar feed-in tariff was going to drop from nine and a half cents per kilowatt hour to seven point six cents per kilowatt hour. Mm, mm. And I know there's reasons for that, and there's economics and there's supply and demand. That, like, you know, there is more solar being fed into the grid, so they want to pay less for it. I like, get all that stuff. Mm. But if, you, if your business relies on me not choosing to at some point install a battery because the diff- gap between what I pay and what you pay me is so big that it makes sense, mm. I can't think of a, I can't think of a, a better, just speaking of, speaking of laws of economics, right? Like the, the short term of I'm going to pay them less, that'll fix it to the point where like, people say, well, but hang on, if you do that, I'm just going to get a battery and I'm going to buy even less energy from you <laughs> overall. Is yes. that really what... And I don't... I look, it's a difficult thing. I don't, I don't blame them for trying to make this, make this work. But as you say, like, Economics 101 is pretty straightforward, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, the, way, the way customers and, and suppliers behave is absolutely based on supply and demand. It's, it's like it's not, it's not exactly... A, not even close to a, a direct analogy, but it's just that, that reminder that, you know, the short term of, hey, there's a short term imbalance. Iron or 220 bucks. That's fine. That, that's, that's, that's real. I'm not saying the, the price is real. It was real. But if you're an investor and you're paying a price that assumes that's even close to sustainable, you're going to come a cropper just because the now doesn't necessarily mean the future, right? So, mm. and again, the point of the energy energy comparison was you can make a few more cents for me now by lowering my feed-in tariff. But if you, again, speaking of supply and demand, I'm going to start demanding a whole lot less all of a sudden mm. if the price is higher and that this is a net price. And it's just another reminder that, you know, sometimes maybe I, we'll talk about this and this goes to our next point, but... Supply and demand is tough and sometimes it's just too hard, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't invest in, I've never invested in a mining company. Sorry, totally lie. Way back in the day, uh, when I first started investing, I had a boss who tried to teach me to trade, to try and you know, buy high, sell low, buy high, sell low over and over again. Uh, that way around. Um, I was a bloody M-I-M, Mount Isa mining back in the day. So I, uh, I have, yeah. I have in, for my sins. Uh, I think I lost money. It was like, it was just tiny. It was bicky, like tiny, tiny. I, I probably spent more in brokerage than I ever made in, in profit. <laughs> um, it was just stupid when I was very, very young. Anyway, uh, other than that, I've never bought a miner because it's just a really, really tough industry to make a buck out of over an extended period of time because you've got to be able to know this stuff. Mm. The other one that's really difficult, mate, is energy retailing. And AGL this week hit its lowest share price in 20 years. Mm. The market must be up, I don't know, what's the 20-year gain? 10% a year, what, five times in value in 20 years? Mm. And AGL is the lowest in 20. Not suddenly, if you lost a fortune, if you own AGL shares over that time or missed a fortune, but you've also missed a massive upside potential with owning something else. And it's just a really, again, speaking of tough industries, energy generation, where the, the whole generation, that the, the renewables piece is just absolutely smashing mm. their existing businesses. And the retailing operation, which is the most commodity. You reckon, reckon, bloody um, iron ore is commodity. Energy retailing, you're literally saying, hey, I will choose a retailer. They're all buying at roughly the same price. They're all selling to me at a market price. Uh, uh, MBN retailing might be harder, but not by much. I, I just – I can't think of – well, other, other than mining, I can't think of an industry I want less to be involved in than, than energy and generation retailing. I'll extend it to anything that's commodity-based and not, yeah. not, not strictly.
1: Definition of the word commodity. So don't just think, you know, iron ore and wool and stuff, but anything that's largely yeah. indistinguishable. So if you're yeah. ch- selling electrons, as AGL is, <laughs> yeah, that's right. they're exactly the same as the <laughs> electrons that any other retailer is generating exactly. or, or exactly. producing. And yep. whenever yep. you're in, th- so, and th- 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 this comes back to <laughs> even whether you're talking about, I don't know, yeah. uh, high chairs or keyboards or anything, if, if, yeah. if, if they are commodity <laughs> yeah, by nature. Right. Yeah. That is something, is, is for, for me, as, as the longer I've been doing, it's, it's more of a, a red flag than anything else yeah. because it, not that you can't do well on, the, on these areas, but it just nice. means that you are relying on outstanding execution, yeah. um, which is rare, which is really, really, really rare. So, so but when,
0: it, but even, I, I think it's even more than that, mate, because even with outstanding execution, the industry dynamics can just overwhelm that regardless. You can be the best iron ore miner in the world, and if the price halves, you can't do a thing about it. Well, what's the what's Buffett say when a
1: management team with a reputation yeah. for excellence meets a, a business with a reputation for poor economics? It's the it's the business's reputation that remains intact. That's good. Line, um, and I, I butchered <laughs> that, but yeah, that's, that's no the, no
0: spot on. We almost, the, almost nailed it. Oh, okay. Well, that,
1: that, and, and I, I think so. So just to sort of. Um, continue to the general thread of the conversation. <laughs> this is this is AGL's problem. You I know, mean, not only that they're highly regulated, not only that yeah, they've got these right. aging assets that are just could be stranded assets, very <laughs> real, very easily be stranded exactly. assets, exactly. massive amounts of capital expenditure to keep the whole thing going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just sort of like give me a reason to like it, and I don't even have to. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, I think I think a lot. Too many investors look back. As I just said, I just said that people extrapolate mm-hmm. too much. And so I'm, now I'm, I'm now I'm just about to extrapolate, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: but as I say, not as I do, Phil.
1: <laughs> I think I think I think there are some there are some. Yeah. There, there is a lot that... Be, one of the first things... So you and I often go on AusBiz or various other mm-hmm. media thing. People say, hey, what do you think about this? And it's a company you may never have heard of or only loosely yeah. know. You quickly dive in and do some some investigation. <laughs> yeah. I always look I always look at the 10-year financial history of the business because although there may be mm-hmm. mitigating second, doesn't mean it's not about to explode in growth and just go on right. to... But, but it is very telling when you see a business over a very extended period of time just really not performing yeah. that well. There's just really no growth there. There's no consistency. And dividends, mm-hmm. or there's a bit of a downtrend in all of that kind of like that. That is very much the case with AGL here. Yeah, and it's yeah. sort of like, so now it's not just a case, case of saying, well, from the outside, the economics don't look very attractive. Mm-hmm. History is demonstrating to me that they've never really been able to make, you know, <laughs> right. that much of a go. So yeah, now, well. now, yeah, now right, to make right. a bet on it, I have to basically
0: <laughs> assume those two things are going to change. And yes. I don't know, it just. Or well, somehow that I'm clever enough to be able to pick both ends of that. I can somehow buy it at the right time sell it at the right time and and, and the economics will work for me because I'm going to be cleverer than everybody else absolutely is...
1: and like any other business they've still got all the normal execution risks and yes. challenges uh, that come along on top of all that's of that exactly right. as yeah. well so yes. it's kind yeah. of like you know. and here's another example a very very large yeah, ASX board. player blue chip sort of stock would be in almost every sort of super fund I imagine that's sort of out there certainly in most index oh, yeah. broad index you know just like well why what is it What it's it's really been a shit investment Oh, pardon yep. me I don't know if we can say that bleep that out, if you we need just, to. We just did, we just okay. did, but
0: but you know, and I I think I can say that objectively. Uh, well, can you swear objectively? I'm not sure. That's a different question. <laughs> we stopped these these podcasts earlier because last time we got to at this point in the podcast, you are uh, you can you you. Um Let's just say you meant say primal and you said something else. And oh all it was about exactly <laughs> the same time. So I've clearly got some lessons to learn from uh, the length of these podcasts. Speaking of which, mate, that probably does do us to finish off. We are going to have a podcast mailbag on Sunday, surprisingly enough. Uh, you'll join me for it, I'll share. Absolutely. If you want, in the meantime, to get a question answered on that podcast or you want a good follow, if you're on Twitter, and you should be, you really should be. Twitter can be a sewer at times, but it's great if you follow the right people and curate your list. Uh, you can follow Andrew at sage underscore simeon or at strawmaninvest. You can follow me on Twitter or Insta. You can follow the Motley Fool as well. Our handles are the same. So on Twitter and Insta, at tmfscottp or at the Motley Fool au. Do you the way I say Insta, mate, as if it makes me sound like I know what's going on? I'm really cool and stuff. It's better than- <laughs> if you hate Instagram, it's like that, that's the uh, old school. Old school. Um, if you're on Facebook, jump onto Facebook.com slash Phillips or Facebook.com slash the Australia. And do please follow both our other podcast, The Good Oil, with Scott Phillips and our YouTube channel uh, at just the Motley Fool Australia. Go to YouTube, type in the Motleyful Australia. You find lots of good content. I'm actually going to get Andrew to guest up here on one of these sometime soon. So like cool. that'll be that'll be fun as well. Until then, until Sunday, full on. Cheers.